Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Um, excited to be in verses 1 through 4 there this morning. Revelation 21, uh, verses 1 through 4. The next time Christmas falls on a Sunday, I read this week, is the year 2033. So for many of us, like, like my family, this is kind of our last hurrah as a family to get to worship on Christmas morning. So it's not to say they won't come back, but with little kids and everything else. So uh, I understand the challenge it can be to be here. So what we wanted to do is, A, uh, not make you feel guilty. We understand it's Christmas Day, and you only get so many of those uh, in a lifetime. And, and we want to make sure you are able to enjoy your family and enjoy your time. But we would love for you to choose to worship with us as well uh, next Sunday, if you can. I do think it's a good thing and a, a really helpful thing on Christmas Day. Of course, it's the Lord's Day, so there's no question about whether we'll be here to worship or not uh, for our leadership here, but we would encourage you to be here. And let me just explain a little bit about what we mean by a little more casual. What we want you to be able to do is have as minimal interruption to your morning as possible and still come to church. So if you want to come in your Christmas pajamas, that's that's between you and the Lord. And uh, if that's what you want to do, uh, we'd love for, for you to do that. And uh, if you want to bring your kids in, in the Christmas pajamas, that's another story, you know. And uh, if you wh- whatever you're going to next after church just dress for that okay now if that's to go get back on the couch dress for that that's fine no judgment here we won't be on tv nobody's going to single you out with a camera uh to judge you or anything like that so uh let me just encourage you to if you can make it a part of your uh christmas day uh, to be worshiping with us here at first baptist church let me also remind you the sunday after that is new year's day uh it's also the lord's day we will be worshiping but we won't be in the sanctuary uh we'll be downstairs in the fellowship hall having our annual prayer emphasis sunday so for the next two weeks there won't be sunday school and we'll have services that are a little bit different but next sunday in the sanctuary sunday after next new year's day we'll be downstairs in fellowship hall for prayer emphasis and then that uh next sunday i guess that's january the 8th we'll be back up here with a normal worship service sunday school the whole shebang will be back to kick the year off right so i look forward to worshiping with you all during this holiday um, season. My wife said folks were asking her what a little bit casual meant. So, Whit, did you feel like I explained that well? Okay. All right. If you have any other questions, just text me. Okay. All right. If you need a wardrobe consultant, I'll be glad to serve in that role. <laughs> if you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through four. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
Let's pray together. Lord our God, would you open our hearts and minds today to receive your word. And as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, oh God, I pray we would turn to you and be transformed by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Advent, the season we're in right now, leading up to the season of Christmas, has changed a lot over the years. In fact, just a few uh, months ago, I read an opinion piece from a Southern Baptist Seminary president from the late 1800s, early 1900s, where someone had written in and asked whether or not a Baptist church could put up a Christmas tree in their church. The answer was no. And so here we are under direct orders from Nashville not to have a Christmas tree defying orders. I hope that makes us all feel good today. I'm just kidding. Baptists have changed. Advent has changed, where Baptists historically would have seen all these things as traditions that really weren't in the Bible and so therefore shouldn't be celebrated in a Baptist church. We've now taken on traditions from other denominations and other people and and using them in our church as well. In fact, even Advent wreaths are a lot more modern than you might think. It's a tradition that began in Lutheran churches in northern Germany in the 1950s and 1960s. It's a wonderful tradition and a beautiful tradition um, and something we enjoy doing here every year at Christmas time. Each week we light a candle The candles signify hope, love, joy, and peace. And then on Christmas Eve, we light the Christ candle, uh, representing Jesus, the light of the world, coming into the world. So each week of Advent is sort of uh, our readings and other things are sort of centered around these themes. But earlier in church history, during the Middle Ages, just to show you how much Advent has changed, during the Middle Ages, the weeks of Advent had different themes. The first week of Advent was a week of death. Second week of Advent was the week of judgment. You get a brief reprieve in the third week with heaven. And then on the fourth week of Advent, you celebrate hell. Preach on hell. All right? We'll entertain a motion now to change our Advent candles next year. (laughs) All those in favor say aye. No, what it was is at this time of year every year in the church, what they would focus on are what's historically been called the four last things death judgment heaven and hell you see because of christmas and the looming holiday of christmas we tend to think of advent primarily as the time when we prepare our hearts for the birth of our lord and so many of us will sort of begin to imagine what it might have been like and i don't think this is necessarily a bad enterprise we'll try to imagine what it would have been like before jesus came into the world what would those who were waiting on the messiah have been like and rightfully we'll celebrate people like simeon who uh, waited on the birth of the lord and we'll celebrate other characters of the bible who anticipate the birth of the Lord Jesus. However, Advent, historically, in the church, has been the time when the church didn't think primarily and only about the first Advent of Jesus. You see, you might have forgotten that the Bible speaks of two Advents. Not only the coming of the Lord in the flesh, in His earthly life, to die for our sins and to be raised from the dead, but the Bible also speaks of the fact very clearly that Jesus is coming Again, what we call the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, where He's returning again, also still in the same flesh He had originally, but this time to judge the world. This morning, we turn our attention to the hope which we as Christians have. 
And I think we would do well as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ to take time during this season to continue to look to the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think what's happened a lot in the church today, evangelicals have tended to either fetishize or monetize the end times. We sort of have become obsessed with trying to figure out exactly. It's like we're obsessed with doing literally the opposite of what Jesus told us to do, which we're trying to find out the day and the hour. And it's like, pretty sure Jesus said, no one knows the day nor the hour, despite what books are being published. And again, this is just my opinion. This is not God's rules. I think you should get one shot at predicting the second coming of Christ. You get one book. Jesus is coming again in 2023. If it doesn't happen, you're forever more banished from publishing books, okay? I just think that should be the rules. That's me. Uh, we'll see how that, how, that, how that pans out. We've tended to become obsessed with the end times almost in unhealthy ways. And in so many ways, I can remember as a little boy, uh, I grew up right outside Boaz in Double Bridges, Alabama. Um, it's a suburb of Boaz. And uh, uh, I heard a helicopter outside one day. Now, you'd be shocked at how few helicopters you hear in Double Bridges, Alabama. Well, it turns out the rescue squad next door was doing some sort of training or something. But I, as a young man, I was horrified. Do you know why? Because I thought it was the end times. I heard a helicopter outside. I remember thinking, somebody told me that the locusts coming out of the pit was helicopters, and they're here to get me, you know? And this is the end times. It takes hard work. Let me just say. It takes hard work to take the Bible's teaching on the return of Jesus and turn it into something scary for Christians. Because there is nothing more hopeful. There is nothing more hopeful and there's nothing that should bring peace and hopefulness to the heart of a Christian like the thought of their Savior coming back for them. I wish... I wish it had been the locusts, right? I wish that's what it had been. I wish Jesus would have come and made all things right and all things new. Evangelicals have tended in that direction where the mainliners who tend to celebrate Advent the best and the most are the ones who have almost become embarrassed of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something those people believe, not us. But this morning, we turn our attention to the hope of Christians. When Jesus returns, we will be in His presence henceforth and forevermore, world without end. God is giving us the gift of Himself, and this ought to lead us to hope. This, this morning, I want to uh, show you three truths that will, I hope, help you foster the hope of Emmanuel during this Advent season, this week that's left as we anticipate Christmas Eve and the joy of celebrating the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. I want to show you three truths this morning that will help build hope in your hearts as you look for the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ and you look forward to His full presence that we'll experience at that time. Here's the first truth of these three truths I want you to see this morning. Here's the first. God's presence brings judgment. God's presence brings judgment. Verse 21, chapter 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, one time a family member asked me, preacher, you're, you're a preacher. Let's put that education to use. 
why is it that in Revelation chapter uh, 21, why is it that it says there will be no more sea? Does that mean there's not going to be any more water, uh, no more oceans? And I said, yes, that's right. Um, if there was a sea or a river or anything like that in the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus wouldn't be, even Jesus couldn't get people to come to church. They'll be on vacation every weekend. And so that's why there's no more sea in the new heaven and the new earth. No, of course that's not the case. Uh, this earth is being renewed and uh, uh, there will be no more sea as a reference back to earlier in the book of Revelation chapter 13. You see all sorts of wickedness emerging from the sea. It's a, a picture, an image in the book of Revelation. It's full of imagery of the wickedness and the evil of the world. So I don't think that means that literally there will be no more oceans in the new heavens and the new earth. I think what it means is that the wickedness and the evil out of which the beast arose and, and this great blasphemer arose, that sea will be no more. It's a picture of the judgment of God. Now, throughout this uh, passage, you see little glimmers of this hope. The old earth and the old heavens that were ruined by sin are being replaced by a new heaven and a new earth that have been transformed by the gospel. This sea of wickedness, this great mass collection of evil from throughout human history will be no more. In fact, even as I was talking to you about the sort of medieval themes of um, Advent, it was kind of funny to us a little bit because we started thinking about who wants to hear about judgment at Christmas time. Who wants to hear about judgment at Christmas time? Uh, judgment is something we tend to view negatively. Um, judge not lest you be judged is kind of the new favorite verse of people in, in the world today. We tend to see all judgment, don't, don't judge me, only God uh, can judge me. We tend to view judgment as exclusively negative, but we need to see, see it for what it is. Um, judgment and God's judgment is essential to that which we are all longing for in a broken world. I mean, think, think about it. Imagine that the Bible taught us that one day Jesus was going to just come make all things right and all things new, but not actually deal with evil. This is something people ask me sometimes. This is one of those theological questions that comes up. People will say, well, what is there to say that this wouldn't all happen again? There wouldn't be another fall, that humans wouldn't choose rebellion again. Well, I think part of what we have to recognize is God's judgment is part of the reason why this will never happen again. God's judgment, Peter talks about it as the world being burned with fire. Fire throughout the Bible is seen as a cleansing and a purging force, a way to make things clean. God is coming into the world to judge sin, but also to cleanse the world of all filthiness and wickedness and unrighteousness. That's the promise and the hope we have that sin will be no more, that this sea of unrighteousness will be no more, that the old earth and the old heavens have passed away. These are all essential elements of the judgment of God, and it's something we long for even when we don't realize it. Even when we don't realize it. As, as allergic as we seem to be to judgment, I would just encourage you to recognize that, that judgment is something we all long for. And some of the ruthlessness and anger, I think, that we see in our culture and society that's starting to really take root and take hold. I, I don't know if you guys have noticed this. I, um, it just feels like there's rage around us. More and more cases of things like road rage and more and more cases of people just being angry and 
frustrated with one another. I, I don't know if I would encourage you to do it or not, but every once in a while, I'll do what people say never to do, and I'll read the comments. And sometimes you just go uh, AL.com article or something like that where somebody's committed a crime and go read the comments. Go, go read the comments and see how many people are calling for really barbaric forms of justice. See the way that people want revenge rather than justice. I think this anger and, and these sort of barbaric thoughts on justice are emerging even as belief and Christian teaching on God's justice and God's judgment is waning. We are poor substitutes for the king and judge of the universe. We are uh, not just people. We are not capable of carrying out justice. And, but people long for it. Again, you look at all those sources, people long for justice, but as Christians, we are more reserved about these things. We are more careful about these things. You think about in Christian societies, why is the word hell a cuss word? Why is that a bad word to say? Why, why, why shouldn't we say that? Have you ever thought about when you're explaining your kids this to your children, why they ought not to use that word in that way? It's because we take God's just judgment and God's justice very, very seriously and that's not something we should use in a flippant way advent is a time to remember the coming of jesus the first time but even more importantly perhaps to look for his coming again in hopefulness god's justice and god's judgment on the world will itself prove redemptive god is judging the world not only to do away with sin and not only to cast sinners into punishment but ultimately god is doing it to redeem the world that's been ruined and broken do you see the beauty of what god's doing we look for his coming again in hopefulness every wrong will be made right god's good creation will be cleansed and made whole evil will not go unpunished be hopeful let God's future judgment. Every time you look and say, why is the world like this? Know that Jesus is coming to judge the world and he'll do it perfectly. Let that bolster your hope. Second of all, God's presence fulfills our deepest longing. God's presence fulfills our deepest longing. Verse two, and I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. What is there? There's very little in this world that's more beautiful than a wedding. In fact, the flowers we have here in the sanctuary this morning are left over from a wedding that was here yesterday. You can see how beautiful they are and the reflection of the beauty of marriage. Earlier, I was talking to a friend and he said, you know, one of my theological quandaries in this life is uh, whether or not I actually do things to be good or because I think they're the right thing to do or whether or not I'm afraid of disappointing my wife and her finding out that I've done something bad. And I said, well, you're on to something there. Marriage is a gift of grace. It's a beautiful thing. It's one of the means by which uh, God helps refine us and make us more like Jesus. It's the reason why the Bible tells believers only to marry only other believers because marriage is so important in that respect. 
And that's not to say that uh, marriages between someone who's a believer and not a believer uh, cannot do the same thing, because a marriage is a marriage. But it is to say that marriage is so important. It's a picture of Christ and the church. And it's essential for us to think through these things and recognize these things. There's nothing much more beautiful than a wedding, and there's nothing much more beautiful than a marriage. It's part of the reason why this verse is so hopeful. Consider this. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I think we have to be really careful, though, as Christians, not to idolize marriage. Because there are some folks who are in difficult marriages. For me to go on and on about the beauty of marriage and the beauty of weddings, for some of you, your wedding day may be a hard thing to remember right now because of the things you've been through. Um, For others of you, maybe you're very hopeful about the future with your spouse, but it's been a tough road. Maybe it's just not as beautiful as it seems. I, I want you all to know that the beauty of being a Christian is that we all have the perfect spouse, the Lord Jesus Christ. And even those of you who have been in difficult and broken and hard marriages, that's not necessarily the reason it's so difficult and the reason it's so heavy and the reason it's such a challenge is because of the beauty of marriage itself. Things that are meant to be good and beautiful don't really bother us, uh, that aren't meant to be good and beautiful don't really bother us that much when they aren't good. But things that are meant to be good and beautiful and that are meant to reflect God's good design in the world, when they are broken, we are broken. And here we see the way that the church is being prepared as a bride for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's preparing a great celebration in heaven Notice the Bible goes on, though, moves on from that simple analogy and goes on to this. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The dwelling place of God will be with man. Do you see the way this is a fulfillment of all that was lost in Eden? Consider the fact, sometimes we think about this, that Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God and God would come walk with them and spend time with them in the cool of the day. They had this perfect, uninhibited relationship with the Lord. But here we see that that was all lost at the fall, but now it's being regained through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's greatest gift to us is God. This is our truest and best blessing, is God himself. This is what will make the world right for us to be in the presence of God. In the same way that perhaps your spouse helps keep you in line, imagine what it will be like when we are with God and in God's presence forever. This is what will make the world right. This is what will keep the world right. And brothers and sisters, this is what will satisfy our hearts forever. So many people are looking for satisfaction in all the wrong, all the wrong places. As Augustine once said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. God is the only one who can satisfy our hearts forever. Our broken relationship with God is what broke the world. Until it is made fully right, the world will never fully be right. And thus our hope, our hope is truly rooted in the promise of God's presence. Finally, not only does God's presence fulfill our deepest longing, 
Not only does God's presence bring judgment, but finally, God's presence makes everything sad untrue. God's presence makes everything sad untrue. This thought of everything sad becoming untrue, I think it sort of originated in J.R.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings when one of the characters asks another character, will, will now everything sad be untrue? C.S. Lewis sort of talks about this a little bit when he, he, loosely quoting him, he says, many people say that no future glory could ever make up for the pain now, but what they don't know is that the resurrection will work backwards, undoing and redeeming even those horrible moments in our own lives. I, I read a book earlier this year by a guy named Daniel Nayeri, and, and the title of the book was Everything Sad is Untrue. He sort of leaned into this theme. It's a story of an Iranian refugee. His mother had become a Christian. They had to flee the country. He lost everything. He lost his standing in society. He lost his family. He lost everything, but he talks about the redemption that his family experienced in so many ways, and in so many ways through the faith of his mother. I say all that to say this, our hope is rooted in the fact that God will make things right. Everything sad will be untrue. Everything we lost in Adam, everything we lost in Adam, we will regain that and more in Christ. In, in fact, there's nothing we lost in Adam that we won't find better now that we have it in Christ. I think this is one of the most beautiful verses of the Bible. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. I think at Christmas time especially, sometimes we're afraid to lean into the darkness. We're afraid to lean into the challenges of the season. We're afraid to show that we're sad if we're sad at Christmas. Now, it's okay if you're not sad. You should be thankful. But some of you are. Uh, some of you are struggling. Some of you are challenged. I find it really interesting here that by the time we get to Jesus, by the time we get into his presence, it doesn't seem like the crying's quite over yet, does it? Because notice what it says. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And then it goes on to say, there will be no more crying. As we come into the presence of Jesus, He, I guess there will be some who are still hurting, some who are still struggling, some who are still crying. I, I think if John had just left us with, there will be no more crying, we might all still be afraid to cry in church. We might all still be afraid to cry during Advent. We might all be, when it's a holly jolly Christmas time, we might be afraid to cry around others because we're afraid that we're going to kind of uh, kill the mood. Kill the vibe. Brothers and sisters, crying in church, crying at Advent, mourning around other believers isn't killing the vibe. That is the vibe of church. That's what we're here for. We are mourners. We are joyful, but we are also mourners. We are sad over the state of the world. We are grieved by sin. We are grieved by death. We are grieved by darkness. And it is only Jesus who can finally and fully actually do it, wipe away every tear from our eyes. But it's something He Himself will do. I don't want you to feel like you have to put on a sense of false holiday cheer if the joy just isn't there yet. 
It's okay to remember. In fact, it's good to remember, maybe especially during this season when we're all trying to appear as manic as we possibly can. Maybe it's a good thing to remember that this world is not all there is and that there is a darkness from sin that is in the world and that Christmas is a signpost that's not meant to make us fake joy but is meant to point us to a joy that dawned 2,000 years ago and an even greater joy that will come in years and years and years to come. Or maybe, by God's grace, even today. Don't be afraid to lean into the darkness. Don't be afraid to do the work of joy. Don't be afraid to do the work. Do the work of mourning the world as it is. Advent is a season of waiting. Waiting for the tears to be wiped from our eyes waiting for the morning to be over, waiting for sickness and death to be no more, waiting and longing for the pain to end. And I'm going to tell you something. Every time I stand over a casket, I'm sick of the waiting. Tired of it. I don't like to wait. Every time I see another one of God's precious saints suffer, every time I hear another story of a dear friend who just got this diagnosis or that challenge, I... And fed up with it. It can be a terrible season of waiting. But in those moments, I have to remind myself, it's not only a season of waiting, it's a season of watching. Watching for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hastening His coming. Asking the Lord to come. It's why so often when a saint of God dies, or a friend dies, or someone I know or love dies, oftentimes when I speak of it, I end the post or the sentence or whatever else with the cry of the church, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We're not only waiting, waiting is hard, but we're also watching attentively, hopefully knowing that any day could be the day. And those who watch for the Lord Jesus and those who wait for the Lord Jesus do not watch And do not wait in vain. When you're hurting, when you're crying, when you're struggling, when the darkness seems to be closing in, waiting is awful. But we wait in hope. We wait in hope. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus this morning, I want you to know that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So no matter how bad you think you are, no matter how good you think you are, I promise you, you need Jesus. And He will take you by grace through faith. If you turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe with all my heart, I believe the Bible teaches, you will be saved. Second of all, uh, you may be a believer and you may just need some time to pray. Uh, Maybe you're struggling this morning. You know what? Maybe you need to just cry out to the Lord and and you just want uh, someone to pray with you and uh, pray over you. I'd be glad to do that. Why don't you grab a friend on the way to the altar? Or why don't you go sit next to him in the pew? You, You can do that if you want to. And use this time to cry out before the Lord. If you need to lean into the darkness in order that the Lord might give you some hope today, you take these moments to do that. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. 
Um, we're not a perfect church, but I want to tell you something. We take grace seriously, and we want to offer you the grace and hope that comes from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together.